Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from Southwest Louisiana. I hope you are doing extravagantly well. How is everybody doing? Man, I hope you're doing good. Let's get all the introduction stuff out of the way because I got a lot I want to talk about in these next few episodes. So if it's your first time catching uh, Image Bearers Radio, whether you're listening on Hebrew Nation online or whether you're listening on the podcast later that'll be posted, I just want to say welcome. Um, We appreciate everyone who stops by and takes a moment to to listen to what Image Bearers Radio is all about. And that is encouraging believers um, to whatever whatever place, whatever point, um, whatever camp you're in or whatever flavor your faith looks like to make sure that we're about one major important thing, and that is bearing God's image, the image we were created in. If you're a longtime listener, you've been following for a while, I want to say uh, just as 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 a, a hearty thank you again as much. Uh, you know, it's, it's awesome for people to stop by once. It's amazing for them to come by twice, and it's awesome that they listen over and over and over. And so if you're one of those people, I know that you're out there, I want to just say thank you for being an awesome community and for all the feedback and the support. And um, as this is an extension of Out of Ashes Ministries in Ritter, Louisiana, uh, it's just, it's all works together in a really cool thing, and we're building an awesome community. And so I just want to say Thank you. Um, if you would like to join us for a Sabbath uh, service, then we live stream our services every Shabbat uh, at 10 a.m. Central Time. And uh, we have worship, we have teaching, uh, we do uh, bracha for the kids and a blessing for the kids. And it's just an awesome time. So if you don't have a fellowship or if your fellowship meets at a different time, then I would encourage you to stop by. We live stream on our website, outofashesministries.org. We also simulcast to Facebook and to YouTube. Uh, we also have a mobile app where you can catch us on there if you like watching on the go. So that's all the preliminary stuff out of the way. Very, very important to me always to welcome uh, new folks or folks that are returning. So thank you for giving me the time to do that each episode. Uh, so we are going to go to the Father in prayer and uh, just have a moment of prayer. We kind of center and focus ourselves on uh, what we're going to be talking about today. And then we will jump into today's episode. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father in Heaven. We are so incredibly and overwhelmingly blessed to be able to gather together as a community of believers and seek you for what it means to represent you and bear your image. Help us today, Father, as we seek to do that. All 
right, so uh, first of all, let me say, before we really jump into things, I hope that everybody had a wonderful Purim. Uh, I know that there may be some of you out there that don't celebrate Purim. Uh, some of you don't maybe even know what exactly Purim is or Purim, um, and some of you do and choose not to. That's all okay. Uh, but for those of you that do celebrate and did celebrate this year, I hope you uh, you had a wonderful time reading through Megalot Esther, the, the Megillah, the story of Esther. Uh, we here at OAM uh, generally do a uh, a dress up night, and we all sit together and we read through the Megillah, uh, adults and kids and everybody together. Uh, and then we have a theme for our our, our service for our party. And so uh, after we get done reeling through Esther and booing Haman uh, and reading about the, the glorious uh, you know, deliverance through, through Hadassah, through Esther, that, that God provided for the, the Jewish people, um, then we enjoy each other and the freedom that we have and uh, the freedom to assemble and the freedom to worship God in the way that we, uh, that we see fit. And uh, so this year we had a uh, kind of a 50s theme. And uh, so the whole uh, uh, fellowship building was decorated. It was incredibly done. Um, and then all the food was 50s themed. And, uh, of course, we had kind of traditional, the hamantashen and things. Uh, but we had, uh, you know, the food was 50s themed. Um, everybody dressed up, you know, it was poodle skirts and slick back hair. And it was so super cool. Um, we had a huge crowd here. Uh, huge for us is, you know, over 100 people. That's huge for us. The building was busting at the seams. Kids running everywhere uh, and, you know, rattling their, their noisemakers and stuff. It was just awesome. It was an awesome time. And then uh, uh, we, we just, we had a great time. So I hope that you, uh, if you didn't have someone or maybe you, you don't celebrate Purim in, the, in that fashion, and that's fine, uh, at least you took some time to read through the story of Esther and, uh, and read the book of Esther and, and gain some encouragement, some wisdom, and some, some, uh, some vitality from the story of God's deliverance of the Jewish people from the Persians. And uh, I hope it inspires you. You know, I hope it inspires you for such a time as this. Uh, I hope it inspires you for living and standing for righteousness and justice, um, because those are the foundations of our Father's throne, of Hashem's throne. So the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about uh, the giving of the uh, Ten Commandments, the ten, the ten Words, and last week we talked about uh, in, in Parshat, uh, Parshat Yitro, I'm sorry, in, yeah, in Yitro, and then last week in Parshat Mishpatim. How the the it, it was so cool to me because the father takes us from this amazing supernatural experience on on Sinai, right where there's thunder and lightnings and there's just this this overwhelming it's like sensory overload as the people are seeing heaven and earth meet together uh, on on top of the mountain. We've talked extensively like about you know the mountain is, is where is where God meets. Uh, you know, the supernatural meets humanity. And, and we've talked about all these things. So, so if you don't really not following what I'm talking about, go back and listen to some of our first episodes, especially in Genesis. And so you have this really supernatural, overwhelming um, uh, encounter, right, between uh, B'nai Israel and, and Hashem. And Moses is going back and up and down and, and, and instructing. And, and you take it from that incredible encounter. And then Pashat Mishpatim, uh, beginning in Exodus chapter 21, Shemot 21. Um, it just, it was really striking to me this year how in, in Mishpatim, it goes from this really, really heavenly, otherworldly, supernatural encounter to just really basic and, and plain life stuff, 
right? It's relationships. It's, it's property stuff and how you deal with property stuff and, and you know, between neighbors and, and how you treat each other and, and all these kinds of things. And all of Mishpatim is, is, is about relationships and it's about how we, how we treat one another, um, you know, in arguments and when differences arise and, and all these, these kinds of things, um, you know, intimate relationships and, and uh, just, just so many of these things. And we have the, the, um, the three pilgrimage festivals that are outlined in Mishpatim. And it's just really striking how it goes from this, this incredible, again, like heavenly scene, just to down to real life, down, to, down and dirty, in the weeds. Like now you got to live with each other, right? And now you got to honor me and you got to live together in community. And it's so striking to me because uh, just the way I grew up and maybe the way some of you that are listening to me grew up, you, you, you're, depending on what circles and what denominations you, come, you know, might have come from, um, there can be this kind of like so heavenly minded, it's hard to be earthly, you know, of any good on the earth. There can be that kind of struggle where we just seem to, we, you know, hope is always over there. Um, the kingdom is always over there. You know, it's up on the mountain. It's in heaven. It's, you know, and it's interesting that the Torah actually speaks to this. Um, you know, like this, you know, we, you can't say that the Torah is across the sea that somebody should go get it for us, or it's up in heaven that somebody, the Torah is here. And it, and for me, it, it, um, it echoes Yeshua's words that, you know, the, the kingdom is, is here. The kingdom is within you. To me, those are kind of a parallel in that Yeshua is saying, like, listen, the kingdom is not something that's going to happen to you. It's something that's in you that you, are, that you have the responsibility of manifesting in the earth. And, uh, and so it's just super striking, and it's awesome. Um, we, we had a good friend, one of my, one of my great friends here uh, over the weekend named Jeff Morton. Jeff is from uh, Washington State. Uh, by way of New York, and uh, he's been an incredible friend. Jeff has a an awesome podcast with Dr. Dina Dye called Returning to Eden, and uh, Jeff and, and Dina have taught me a lot over the last several years, and uh, a lot of the things that you'll hear me say come from challenging conversations I've had with, with either either one of them or both of them. And, uh, and so we're going to post our, that conversation that Jeff and I had on Shabbat to our YouTube channel. And so you can go over there and check it out. It's also, you know, recorded and archived on Facebook, but I encourage you to go and check that out and listen to it because, um, we talked a lot about how the things of God, you know, we tend to think of them as over there as somewhere else. And yet they are right here. God never left earth. God never left creation, but he's here and he's partnering with us. We've talked about this. He wants to partner with us in order to bring kingdom, not bring it from somewhere else, but in order to bring it out in the world, bring the, the God, um, the godliness of this, this creation, this good creation, right? Because again, kind of based on where you, where you come from, um, you may have the sense that like, well, creation is, is, uh, is marred, right? Our creation is perverted because of original sin. We as humans are, we can't be trusted and we can't be trustworthy because of, 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 uh, the sin of Adam and, and all those things. And yet, when God created everything, he created it good at Tov, Tov Me'od, very good. And um, so it, it's an awesome thing to, to kind of take those things and, and apply them then into our, our real lives. And so what I want to do today is I want to just kind of move on from Mishpatim. I know that we're a couple of Parshot uh, Torah portions behind, um, but I, I haven't gotten to really catch up on, on the, the radio program here and to kind of talk about these things, because these uh, couple of Parshot are... Um, in my opinion, some of the most important in all of Scripture. Uh, so, what, so let me ask you a question. I know you can't answer. I can't hear you answer, but hopefully you can answer. Why did God create this earth? What was his purpose in creating the earth? 
um, a question that's been asked for millennia. And he tells us, I, I created this earth so that I can dwell with you, right? And then what's really cool about these couple of, of, uh, of these several chapters in, the, in the, the end of Exodus, as we approach Vayikra, Leviticus, is that he, he says something very similar in Shemot or, or Exodus chapter 25. This is the beginning of Parshat Terumah. He says in, in chapter 25, verse 8, well, let's just read the whole thing from verse 1. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, and let them take from me a portion, a terumah, that every man whose heart motivates him, uh, and you shall take my portion. This is the portion you shall take from them, gold, silver, copper, turquoise, techelet, purple, in Hebrew that's argamon, and scarlet wood, wool, which is uh, tolat shini, and goat hair, red dyed ram skins, tachash skins, acacia wood, all for illumination, spices for the anointing oil, and the aromatic incense, uh, shoham stones, and stones for the settings uh, for the ephod and the breastplate. Okay, so those are the, ma- the materials um, that God is asking for, for the people to bring. Um, I'm going to make a point about this in just a second, but let's read the next verse because I just, this is where I want to be. Uh, verse 8, they shall make me a sanctuary, or they shall make for me a sanctuary. That word sanctuary, uh, tabernacle, maybe your translation says, that is the word mishkan, mishkan, so that I may dwell. And that phrase in Hebrew is vishakanti, vishakanti. So mishkan, vishakanti, you know, sanctuary, tabernacle, whatever, dwelling place is probably the most, uh, is the definition I like best or the meaning. Um, he says, build a mishkan that I may dwell among them, among them, like everything that I show you, the form of the mishkan or the tabernacle and the form of all its vessels, so shall you do. So in kind of keeping with the idea that, you know, we leave Sinai or we, we turn the page from Sinai in this really overwhelming supernatural encounter and we get down to just judgments and ordinances about living real life. Um, God says that, you know, I want you to do, I want you to basically recreate the world that I created. I want you to recreate the garden that I created. And the, the building of the Mishkan, the building of the tabernacle, uh, even in ancient Jewish understanding, is a recreation of the cosmos, of the world, of the world that God created. God created a world that he could dwell with us, that he could be here with people, that he could be, he would have a, a community to partner with, a, a, a partner in, in spreading his kingdom, in building his kingdom, right? And which is justice and mercy and love and, and faithfulness and loyalty. And of course, we know how things have gone from Genesis 1 until now. And God re, re, uh, rescues his people, redeems his people, takes them into the, the, the desert. And he says, I want you to build a dwelling place a mishkan, vishikanti, that I may dwell among you. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of Hashem. The heart of our Father is to dwell with us, not to sit up in heaven while we do our thing here on earth and not to leave us alone while we face trials and tribulations and all those kinds of things. God is Emmanuel, and that is his heart. That is what he desires, I would dare to say almost more than anything, is to dwell with man, to dwell with us. But in order to do that, we have to create a space. In order for God to dwell with us, we, mankind, the individual, we have to create a space for him to dwell. Now, what's so cool about this is that you would think, or I would think, it would be 
it seems like it would be more right that if, if God, if Hashem, if the creator of the heavens and the earth, a perfect and, um, you know, an omniscient, omnipresent um, being, our God, the one true God, if he would want to have a house built and he is holy, then doesn't it kind of make sense that he would provide the house? Because he would want it to, to be exactly like it was supposed to be and untainted by human hands. Because God can't dwell where, where there's, you know, he can't dwell in a messy place. And so it, it, it would seem to fit that if God wants a certain type of house, then God would build it. And, and I'm going somewhere with this, so I want you to just follow me and think with me about this. But he doesn't. And the interesting, the, the, the thing that's so cool about how God does this is that he says, I want the people to bring me stuff. This is what I want them to bring me. I want them to bring me materials, gold, and, and we read the Tehillah and the Argamon and the Talashini and all the colors and the, the different fabrics and the ram skin and, and uh, all these different things. I want them to bring those things to me. And those are the things, their terumah, their offering, that's what I want to use to build my house. The things that God's dwelling place are built of are not spiritual. The things that God's dwelling place, the place where God, uh, that God desires to dwell, the place where God desires to dwell is not built out of something that falls from heaven. The place where God chooses and desires to dwell is built by the hands of men. I just want you to think about that. We want to, and we have minds that are so spiritually focused and so heavenly focused that not that there isn't a spiritual and not that there isn't a heaven. There is indeed a heaven and a spiritual world. I'm not, I'm not negating that whatsoever. What I want to do is balance us a little bit because we have forsaken the, the very things that God has told us that he wants to use in order to establish and spread his kingdom. And those are things that only man can do. Being as being directed by God, right? Doing under our own power is not what God desires. God desires to be directing us and partnering with us as we do those things. So he says, I want him to bring all these materials and I want you to build me a, a mikdash or a mishkan rather, a dwelling place. And he says in verse nine, like everything that I show you, the form of the mishkan and the form of all its vessels and so shall you do. So again, this follows suit with what we talked about the last couple of weeks, that you have, you have this heavenly encounter on Sinai, and then the mishpatim, the ordinances, kind of you know, break down into just everyday life, right? It, becomes, it goes from kind of spiritual to really physical and, and carnal, if you want to say it. Carnal has a negative connotation, but it just means you know, earthly. And in the same way, God says, I want to dwell... And I want to come down. I want to come down and I want to dwell with you. I, I, I don't want to just be up in heaven somewhere. I don't, want, I don't just want to stay on the throne in, in, in Shemayim. I want to come down and I want to be with you. I want to descend and I want to live among you, in you. And so there's this, this, this voyage, this trajectory that's from heaven to earth, right? From the spiritual to the physical, and the, and the physical is the destination, not the spiritual. 
Again, I know this is, is, is maybe kind of challenging for some of us to hear because we've been taught the other way and we've been trained the other way that heaven is the goal, leaving this place and going there or, or denying our, our, our earthly bodies because of a spiritual body or, or denying our earthly desires because of something spiritual. And we, we juxtapose those two, those two things together, um, much, I believe, because of, of some of Paul's writings. Um, but when we understand Paul in context, He's talking about the understanding of flesh and spirit, which is, which is Yetzer Hara and Yetzer Hatov, the evil inclination and the, the good inclination or the animalistic side of us and the divine side of us, the, 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 the animalistic nature, our base nature, um, you know, eating and procreation and all these kinds of things. And we have that side of us and then we have the divine spark, the, the image part of us. And so... Uh, th- this this movement from heaven to earth shows up in the Mishkan as well, a Mishkan that I may dwell with you. And so the rest of Terumah um, goes through building the ark and the, the kaporet, um, the cover for the ark, uh, the table where the showbread will be, uh, the menorah, um, the, the covers of the tabernacle, which is the, the curtains and the linen and, and all of those those things, and then the walls of the tabernacle. Uh, the parochet uh, or the uh, petition, the, the veils that are in the, in the tabernacle, the altar and the courtyard. And that is uh, Parsha Terumah. One thing that I want to encourage you, if you're listening, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is I know that the tabernacle is taught in many different ways. And that's, that's understandable because the tabernacle is layers and layers and layers upon layers of understanding. But I want to encourage you to think about this and think about how you think about the, the Mishkan. This is a world that is, even if you've been studying Torah for 10, 12, 15, 20 years, it's a world that, is, that tends to be a little unfamiliar to us because our culture is not about temple worship. We are. We just don't understand how. Um, see our, our, our talk Saturday with Jeff Morton. You'll understand what I mean by that. But we don't understand the ancient temple systems and things. And, and the temple system of Israel is, is in some ways a lot different than its neighbors. And in some ways, the, the basic overall understandings are, are pretty much the same. This is how it operates. Um, just like if you open a new church, you may want it to be really different than a church you've ever been a part of. But it's still going to be similar in a lot of ways just because that's just the way that our culture is. That's, that's how we know to do things. And where you come from will always be a part of where you go next. So this idea of, of temple, and what I want to encourage you to do is, is not focus so much on what the, the ark and the kaporet and the parochet and uh, you know, the vessels and the menorah and all, not to focus so much on what they mean and, and what they, um, you know, not to interpret their meaning and what they stood for and what they symbolize so much, because we've done a lot of that study. Well, the menorah is the light, and it speaks of Yeshua, and it speaks of the light of the Shekinah, the, the presence of God, and, and absolutely it does, all of those things. And yet sometimes I feel like we get so, so encumbered by the meaning of the, some of the parts and pieces of the, te- the temple or the tabernacle that we, we, we get off, we can get off if we don't understand their function and what were they, what were they created for and what purpose did they serve in, an, in the life of an everyday Kohen, a priest, or an everyday B'nai Israel, a, a child of Israel, a son of Israel. What did, the, 
what did they mean and what did they, how, were, how did they function just in everyday life in the life of Israel camped in the wilderness, right? And we, we know not so much in the Mishkan, but we know in David's temple and then later in the second temple, we have very, very, very good records of how the services were done, how the, 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 the priestly services were done, the sacred services were done. We know how the offerings were done and, and why they were done certain ways. We have a vast amount of information on these things, but it's not our information. It's, it's Jewish information. And I want to press you and, and encourage you a little bit to, you know, to do some, uh, some, um, uh, some Talmud, some Mishnah study. Do some Mishnah study. Listen to some rabbis talk about temple service. Listen to the temple, follow the Temple Institute and what they have to say, you know, about temple and how things were done. Go through their website and look at the function of these things and how they actually functioned day to day in the life of the people of Israel. I think when we get that foundation a little bit deeper and a little bit stronger, then the conclusions we come to later are much better. We'll see you after the break. Alright everybody, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio where we are talking about um, the movement uh, of the way God does things is the movement from the spiritual to the physical, from heaven down to earth. Um, we saw that again with the, the giving of the Ten Commandments down to everyday laws uh, and a, a, an incredible experience on Sinai down to you know, how that filters into everyday life. We're looking at it again with, with God saying in, uh, in uh, Exodus or Shemot chapter 25, the beginning of Parsha Terumah, uh, in verse 8, make me a sanctuary, a mishkan, vishikanti, that I may dwell um, with you and make it like I'm going to show you. Make everything like I'm going to show you. So, so Moshe will be told later and, and will, will be told in other passages, even in Ezekiel, that, that there is a, a blueprint. And in Hebrew, it's called a tavnit, T-A-V-N-I-T, a tavnit. Um, there's a blueprint that Moshe saw of the heavenly realm, of the heavenly kingdom. And he said, I want you to re, God said, I want you to recreate that here on earth. And I just want you to think about how profound that is, that God, God's desire is not to stay in heaven. Again, I don't want to beat this dead horse, but God's desire is not to stay in heaven, it's to dwell with man. That's the reason the earth was created. And, and so he tells Moshe the same thing. I want you to take this, this blueprint, this tavnit that you've seen of the tabernacle in heaven, and I want you to recreate it. And, and as we said in the last uh, segment, that the, even the ancient Jewish understandings and, and, and Jewish, Jewish understandings are that the tabernacle, the temple, is a recreation of the Garden of Eden, which is absolutely phenomenal. So when we say it in some circles, when we say things like, well, you know, the temple, this, and that we, we disparage temple worship, we disparage the Jewish people for temple worship, think about what we're really saying. We're disparaging them from, uh, from getting, trying to get back to Eden. Well, because in many, in many mainstream understandings, all of the, the body of, of Messiah or the children of God one day are going to be plucked up out of this place. And this world is going to be burned to the ground. 
And, and yet, if the direction follows suit that we've already looked at from heaven downward, we may need to rethink about how we think about that, right? And we will talk about that. If not in this episode, we'll get to it next week. And so I, I want to pick up on what I was just encouraging you towards the end of the last episode, that uh, I would really encourage you to focus on the function of the temple, of the tabernacle, rather, the function of the instruments. What, what was the, how did the altar work? Um, because it's not a church altar, right? It's not what we think of as a church altar. It's, it's, uh, it's something very unique, and, and, and it has deep, um, deep holiness, deep kedusha, uh, kedusha, and, and it's, it's fascinating to know how it was built, why it was built a certain way, um, how, it func- how practically, how practically do you go and offer an offering? Um, what, what does an offering even mean? You know, we'll get into this as we go through the rest of Shemot and into, uh, Vayikra especially. Uh, we're going to kind of try to start following the Parshot just because sacred space, tabernacle, temple, this stuff is really close to my heart, uh, because it has taught me how to live, um, how to live, uh, more congruent, I think, with the Father's heart. Um, and you would think studying the temple, the tabernacle would make you more ritualistic and maybe even more, um, more sterile and make your walk more sterile in some ways because it's all kind of ritual and practice and stuff. Uh, but it's not. It opens up an incredible uh, vitality to your faith and, and opens the under, your, your eyes of understanding and your heart to the intimacy of God. And it, it's, it's, it's the greatest study, and I've been doing this for the last four or five years, uh, under wonderful teachers like Joe Good, uh, Joe and Debbie Good, uh, Rico Cortez. It, 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 opens your your spirit man and your your heart to just this intimacy with Hashem that you you've never you've never even imagined was there and to a I would say it's even to a confidence in the partnership between you because you understand where where you stand uh, so I, again I would encourage you to find some of these resources um, the Rico's uh, Joe and Debbie's uh, Joe Goods uh, there's resources out there F- learn from teachers that have been to Israel that have studied these things uh, and that can teach you about the function of them uh, we I do a little of that OEM does a little of that but I'm by no means of the caliber that some of these teachers are so I would encourage you to go seek those resources they're out there and let's worry let's let's focus for a little while on the function uh, of some of these things and and Let's just put on a shelf for a minute the, what they mean and what they, what they speak to in the future. Because what we have to remember is that the children of Israel that were worshiping at the temple and, and, and the tabernacle, and the tabernacle that was the center of, of their lives, everything functioned around there. It was the center of not only their religious worship, but also their government structure. The judges and the Kohanim, and all, they, were, they were not only helping people to worship Hashem and to approach uh, to approach God and how to do that correctly, but they were also working out relationship stuff between the people. They were they were judging on matters and cases, and the the Kohanim and and Kohen Gadol, the priests and the high priests, were working together with the the captains of the tens and twenties and hundreds, and what they were working with the judges and the elders in how to pastor and how to shepherd and how to grow the people as they as they went from slaves into the image of God, a nation of priests representing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here on the earth. And if that's not the gospel message, I don't know what is. I get so excited about this because this is the gospel. The gospel is not only about the cross, the miracle of the cross. The gospel is about the miracle of the kingdom. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll settle down a little bit and we'll, we'll continue to move on. So 
we have in, as I said, in Teruman, we have the articles, the furniture, and the coverings, and those things um, that are talked about, and uh, the altar and the courtyard, okay? And then we move into Parshat Tetzaveh. Tetzaveh, it means you shall command. Um, and that's, this was last week's Parsha. Uh, and uh, this week we are in, uh, excuse me just for a second, let me flip through here a couple pages. Yeah, we're in Kitisa. Uh, uh, this week, last week was Tetzaveh, and it begins with the, the commandment of the oil, and then it goes immediately into the Kohanim, the priests. So there's some interesting, uh, you know, interesting study about this, and, and, if, and again, I want to just ask us and caution us, let's not jump to, oh, the priests, well, we're priests now. Keep yourself from jumping to that. Keep yourself from jumping to 1 Peter 2.9, right? Keep yourself for a moment from jumping to, well, Yeshua is our high priest, that's period, end of story. That, yes, that is true. But again, I'll argue the same as I did, as I usually do with a temple. Yeshua makes a couple of statements when it, when it pertains to these, so particular to these, these uh, concepts. He says, um, you know, I'm the temple. And then he turns around to his disciples and to later followers and he says, you're the temple, right? Cool. And he says, I'm, you know, high priest. And then he turns around and says, I want you to be priests. That's, that's beautiful. And that's amazing. However, however, where we get messed up is that we don't know how to be the temple. First of all, let me say this. Just like we are the image of God. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. I myself personally am not the image of God. You and I and, and that believer over there and that group of believers over there and those believers over there and those worshipers over there, we, we communally are the image of God. In the same sense, we communally are the temple, are the dwelling place, the mishkan. God called a people so that he could dwell in them, among them. The same thing that happened when he told Moshe to build the mishkan. Um, in Exodus 25, uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, in Exodus. And so when, when Yeshua, when we talk about the priests, that's great. We can't be the temple unless we know how the temple functioned. What does a temple do? What are the, what are the, what are the boundaries in a temple? What are the, what are the rulings and laws that govern the temple? Um, what is allowed in a temple and what's not? Uh, what is the purpose of a temple? Um, what are the purpose of offerings and what do they do to the believer or to the, the offerer? What is the connection point between the offerer and, and Hashem, whom they're be off, being offered to? What role does a priest play between the common Israelite that's bringing an offering and the God, Hashem, to whom it's being offered? All these questions are really, really important because it's one thing, again, to say we're the temple, great, but do we act like it? Do we even know what that looks like? In order to be able to be something, you have to have a picture of what it is. In the same way, we, we can prance around and, and, and puff out our chest all we want or even humbly say, well, you know, we're a priesthood and that's great and that's true. But do we even know what the priesthood is? Do we even know? I came from the Baptist church where the priesthood of all believers is a major component of the Baptist understanding. And, and I, I love that. But you know, we, be, we as Baptists believed so much in the priesthood of all believers, I never heard any teaching on what the actual priesthood was like. 
And so what does that cause? It causes us to create a priesthood in our own image. It causes us to, to create some kind of neo-Greco-Roman uh, American Western priesthood, not ever understanding what the original priesthood was all about. And here I'm talking about the quote-unquote original priesthood as in the Levitical priesthood. We won't get into discussion about the Melchizedek priesthood. We're talking about this for right now and using this as our jumping off place. And so we, we make all these statements and we have all these, these, uh, these New Testament passages that give us these promises. But we have to understand that when, when they were being spoken to the people they were being spoken to, these were Jewish people mostly, and even those that were, may have not been Jewish still understood temple protocol. They still understood temple worship and sacred space. And as I said before, we live in that world. We have those things in our world. We just don't see them as that, and so we don't understand. One great example Jeff Morton used on, uh, on Saturday um, is he's talked about when he first remembered the, the, uh, seeing the, the White House and the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and if, if you study the ancient world, you know that, that there's always a, a temple and then there's a palace right next to the temple. So the, the king, who is basically the god for all intents and purposes, lives right next to the temple. And he, he says, you know, the moment when he realized that the capital is America's temple and we don't worship there, quote unquote, or do we? And then the White House is the place where the president lives or the, the king lives. And I, yeah, I know we have a republic form of government, et cetera, et cetera. I, I get that. But the basic template, the basic template of all government is based off of the Tavnit of heaven. And so you can look at uh, communist governments. What do they have? They have a central government building and then the ruler has a palace. You can look at, you know, um, uh, you know, republics like ours. You can look at um, uh, the queen and, and the, the, the monarchy in England. It's, it's all, you, you, have, you have Buckingham Palace and you have Parliament, right? It's the base, uh, the base Tavnit, the base blueprint is all the same. And so what, what, we're, what, what it's important for us as kingdom, as kingdom people, as, as, as believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is to see how God wanted Israel to do this. God wanted to partner with, uh, with Israel, just like he wants to partner with us to bring his kingdom structure into the world and to manifest it in the world. Because the kingdom of Hashem is from heaven coming to earth, right? And we'll get into this more, and I mentioned it before, but look at the Lord's Prayer. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. This next two lines are super important. Thy kingdom come, thy will, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not in heaven as it is in heaven. On earth, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, even Yeshua understood that the purpose of, of partnering with humanity not even Yeshua, Yeshua especially understood that the, the purpose of God partnering with humanity is to bring heaven to earth. Once you understand this, get this understanding, it changes your entire life. It changes your whole purpose for living. It changes your whole being. It changes everything about how you live and why you live. 
the decisions you make, the way you look at people and think about people and the way you view yourself in relationship to God and all of these things, it's a major turning point in our lives. And so I pray that you, you take some time to think about this and, and to get it into your, into your bones. So uh, Tetzaveh is about the priesthood. Now the priest, the priesthood has, they are a special, um, they're a special group of people. Uh, and let me not say it like that. Let me say it a different way. The priesthood has a different role than the rest of the people of Israel. And they are, they are given, when we say special, it makes it sound like, oh, we can't be them. They're, you know, they're untouchable or whatever. We could never be them. And I don't want to give you that impression because that's not accurate. The priesthood is different. They are special in some ways, and we'll talk about that. But they're different, and they're given a, a separate and, and, and special set of laws that govern the way they live because they have a different calling because they have a different responsibility. We, we think so often about the priesthood and, and because of our, um, because of the songs we've, we've sung and because of the, the things, and I love what Joe Good says, um, you know, songs don't make good doctrine. He's absolutely right. But we sing songs, you know, like better is one day in your courts. Uh, you know, we sing about being in the presence of God and that's what we, that's our goal. That's what we want to be. And yet we learn through studying the priesthood that only one priest was allowed to be in the Shekinah, in the presence of God. And that was the high priest on Yom Kippur, once a year. The, 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 the other Kohenim, Aaron's sons and those after him of his line, um, they worked in the, the holy place, etc., etc. The Levites that, were, that served the Kohenim, they, they worked in the, in the courts. And so... It's, it's hard for us to understand that the, the closer you get to the presence of God, the more restriction there's going to be on your life. As The closer you get to being in daddy's lap and all those phrases that we use, we have to understand that there, are, there is more responsibility on us. So the, 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 word, um, the word Cohen means, means uh, to serve. It's like the word minister today. It means one who serves. Um, the, the, the word Kohen is related to the Hebrew word ken, which means yes. Um, and there's also a relation to the word uh, kivun. Kivun, which means to direct or to guide. And so the, what does the priest do? do? He serves God and serves the people by teaching us how to say yes and to direct ourselves towards godly service, sacred service. Um, the, the Moshe is told in Exodus chapter two to separate Aaron and his sons, his four sons, and bring them, separate them and bring them to him, right? And so this idea of the priesthood, the, the priests, they're not like superheroes, right? They're not, they're not supernatural beings and they don't have supernatural abilities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they do have certain qualities that set them apart. And, uh, and, and one of those foremost uh, qualities, uh, Hillel says this in uh, Ethics of the Fathers, or Pirkei Avot, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, um, this is kind of his diction, Be among the disciples of Aaron, Aaron the high priest, Moshe's brother, loving peace and pursuing peace, 
loving people and bringing them close to Torah. I don't know about you, but that really, really sounds like some things from our rabbi. Really sounds like some, like the basic ethic of the Sermon on the Mount. It really sounds like Yeshua could be saying this very thing. So kindness, loving kindness, loving loyalty to Hashem and to people is what sets the priests apart predominantly. So um, Parsha Tetzaveh, uh, a large par- portion of it is to do with the clothing, right? It's to do with the garments of the, the priest. And again, let's kind of put on the shelf what the clothing represents eventually because these commandments were given to these people for their time. When the nation of Israel is, is worshiping at the Mishkan, at the tabernacle, I highly doubt that they are thinking, Oh, people, you know, 4,000 years away from us or 1,800 years or whatever. Um, I really hope they understand what all this means. They, they didn't think that. They didn't have any, they probably didn't have any thought of that. They might have thought about the next generation or two, but they didn't, they didn't have any concept of Yeshua at that point as, as we know him. And they didn't have any concept of, uh, of the world that we would live in. These things were given to these people and so that they would understand them. And they did have an understanding. And so we need to know what they understood before we just make it mean what it means to us. So these clothing garments, first of all, the, the garments are called beged. The Hebrew word for garment is beged. Um, it is mentioned the first time. In Genesis 3-7, in Bereshit 3-7, clothing is born out of shame, right? Where Adam and Eve realized they're naked and they sewed together uh, fig leaves. So clothing is born out of shame. The shame that, uh, that beged is related to a Hebrew word of a bogade. If you spell them out in Hebrew, they look identical. If, so beged is related to bogade. And the word bogade means betrayal or, or unfaithfulness or disloyalty. So you can see why Adam and Eve, it's a play on words in Bereshit 3, where they, they disobeyed and so they made for themselves beged and then God clothed them, right, with the, the skins of the animal. So I want to read you this quote from uh, Rabbi Chaim Richman of the Temple Institute. He says, that the divine service, let me just say this before I, I mention this quote, um, Rabbi Richman, in his, uh, I think it's Tetzaveh uh, Torah portion commentary, he says that's on YouTube. You can go on YouTube and, and listen to this, and I would encourage it's like 20 minutes. He makes the, the connection that the, the priest, the Kohen, is not, cannot function in his duty as Kohen without the garments. Without his garments on, he's just another guy. But when the priest, when the Kohen puts on the garments that were uh, that were given to him by the people, were made by the people, so he's kind of their extension. Then he begins to function as a, as a unit, a functional unit that we know as priest or as Kohen. And, and Rabbi Richman says this, the divine service reminds us of our unbroken connection to Hashem as creator and sustainer. It restores unity. It seeks to rectify man's betrayal, i.e. Adam, and inspire fidelity or loyalty, right? The function and efficacy of the priestly duty is intrinsically bound to the clothing. Without it, their service is invalid. I just think that's amazing. 
So, so check this out. This, like, oh, this is what blows my mind about studying the temple and the tabernacle is that we understand that it's a recreation of the garden. It's a recreation of the cosmos. And remember that the garden was supposed to be the center of God's order. We've talked about this in our Genesis, uh, in our Genesis episodes. The garden was to be the center of God's kingdom order, and it was to spread from the garden. So in recreating that in the tabernacle, in the temple, you have the same idea that this is where God's kingdom and his government order starts, and it is to be spread to all nations. What is Israel told when they come out of Egypt? I'm going to make you priests to all nations, right? The light to the nations. And that was their duty. And by tying them to this, this tabernacle worship, Rabbi Richmond is saying this is, what, this is where it all begins, reminding us of that connection, but reminding us of that loss of fidelity and that encouragement back to loyalty, to Hashem. And so everything that's done in the tabernacle and then later in the temple is going to speak to that and is going to cultivate that very idea. So when we talk about sacrifices, which we will get to, when we talk about sacrifices, most are, I'll say, I'll speak for myself and say that I always struggle with sacrifices because it was kind of like paying off God not to be mad with the people, right? It was like, well, you deserve to die, but this animal is going to shed its blood in your place because God is so angry with you. God is so ticked off and so mad at you that, you know what, you, something has to die. Well, well, sign me up because that's the God that I want to serve, said no one ever. Right? And when we understand sacrifices in the sense of an offering, a korban, which, a, which the word korban means to draw near, a, a, an offering is to draw us back near to Hashem. This is the job of the offering, the korbanot. This is the job of the koanim, the priest. It's all about reestablishing that fidelity. And it's not a heavenly thing. It's a physical thing that is built with the hands of men after the, the tabernacle that Hashem gives. I love this topic, guys. So the next few weeks, we're going to talk some more about this. Until then, go and be his image. Shalom, shalom. Shalom. 